You're listening to the Full and Thriving Podcast, a place where courageous women come to break free from food obsession, heal their relationship with their body, and strive to live a life that's present, lighthearted, and meaningful. If you're listening, my wish is that this podcast serves as a catalyst that inspires you to nourish your body, nurture your mind, and energize your spirit. I'm your host, Meg McCabe, a certified life coach and eating disorder recovery coach with a PhD in having a good time. Just kidding about that last part. Anyway, thank you so much for listening and enjoy the show. Today's guest is Adrian Paxosa. Adrian is a certified eating disorders registered dietitian practicing in Austin, Texas, and the surrounding cities. She's the founder of Nourish, which is a national telehealth network of anti-diet dietitians that take a behavioral health approach to nutritional care. In today's episode, we talk about the connection between mood and food and how this information can support your recovery. By the way, Adrian was super generous and created a downloadable freebie for our listeners to dive deeper into this topic. So please Go check out the show notes and use the link below to download your free downloadable. Also, without further ado, here's our episode on mood and food with Adrian. Hi, Adrian. How are you today? I am fabulous. How are you doing, Meg? Oh, I'm so glad you're on the show today. <laughs> I can't wait. We have a really cool topic that we're going to talk about, which is food and mood. But before we dive into that, I really want to learn more about you. So please tell me, like, how did you become the anti-diet dietitian that specializes in eating disorder recovery? Totally by accident. So I grew up and I thought I was going to be a ballerina. Like that's what I wanted to be or school teacher, you know, either or. I was fascinated with overhead projectors as any child is. <laughs> and went off to school, went to dance school. And I broke my foot and I was like, ah, I need a backup career. Uh, I also had like the great like humble pie reality of like, I'm a good dancer, but I like, I'm not a great dancer. And my mom was also in the medical field. She's a nurse. And I always grew up in the medical field. And I was like, I like humans, but I don't want to touch them. I want to help them, but I don't want to touch them. And, you know, being in the dance world, yes. Never had like a full-blown eating disorder, but like, yes, worried about body image, went on like some weird diets that I came up with as like, you know, any smart teenager would never full blown, but definitely was immersed in that. And after falling down, uh, decided I wanted to go to dietitian school. That's about as much research as I did. I'm like, oh yeah, food, dietitian, that makes sense. Did absolutely no research, no anything and ended up in Chicago and fell in love with it. Thought I was going to be a sports dietitian, loved athletes. But then I was like, oh, dancers are athletes. I'm going to help dancers. One thing led to another and I came back to Texas and was working at a health club and, you know, kind of doing stuff, working at a hospital too, trying to figure out, but I would do a lot of volunteer work in the dietitian community. And somebody said, oh, there's an eating disorder treatment center here in Austin that's looking for a dietitian. Does anybody have time to do it? And I'm just raised my hand. Sure, I'll do this. And I was like, crap, 
I have no idea what the heck I'm doing. <laughs> Let me like, immediately call up like the eating disorder experts I know and learn everything. And I fell in love. Like absolutely, like it sounds so crazy to say like, I love eating disorders, but it's like, I absolutely <laughs> love these like patients and the population just because it is such a tumultuous relationship with food and body. And how do we begin to even make peace with just so much stuff in the world? And so, gosh, that was 15, 20 years ago and just have continued to like fall in love with just how to continue to create better access to anti-diet, weight-neutral dietitians, how to create access to care. That's something that I continue to see over and over and over. So that's kind of like my purpose and mission. I really love that. And I love hearing your background. And I think it is really exciting when people don't necessarily have eating disorders themselves and still find their way into this field. Cause it does feel like a totally different ball game than being a normal dietitian. Oh, a hundred percent. When I tell people, I'm like, Oh, it's amazing. And they just kind of like, aren't you scared? I was like, yeah, of course I get in the beginning, but you have to find those great mentors and supervisors. So yeah, it's mm-hmm. always a great space. <laughs> what was the biggest difference between being a regular dietitian and an eating disorder dietitian that you loved that really helped you fall in love with this side mm-hmm. of things? I think I would say just, I get to spend more time with patients. Whereas in, I guess, normal quote unquote dietetics, like you see a person two, three times and like magical, they're done and they're fixed when really they're not as far as like their yeah. relationship with food. But in eating disorder land, it's one of those, it's kind of known that you have a longer relationship with your care team because you're working on so many levels and you get to really dive deep into relationships with food and body and kind of also jump into the science, which then I get to nerd out on. (laughs) (laughs) Woo, science. Yes. There's so much more to it. I think when you add the eating disorder recovery component in there. Yeah. So I completely see that. And I know that you're also the founder of Nourish and I'd love for you to share a little bit about that because I was looking it up online and feels like something that's really needed right now. Uh, Yeah. So our private practice started 15 years ago and it was just me on this little mission. I slowly started to add in other dietitians, added to other dietitians. And about a year ago, I got approached by a technology company and they're like, would you like to kind of bring this to the masses. I was like, yes, please. And so kind of our goal with Nourish is to one, create better access to weight inclusive care through dietitians that's covered by insurance. And so all of our dietitians are extensively trained in being a weight inclusive, a care approach, even if it's somebody that's coming in, that's not eating disorder, somebody that's diabetic or recovering from cancer. And so What makes us kind of different is we focus on long-term sustainable behavior changes. And it's not about eat this, don't eat that. It's about, okay, how do we live life and be around food and be okay with food and be okay with our body? And if there is another disease going on, what's going on there, but also really educating on the why and the how food works with your body. Mm, That's so important. And Yeah. So excited when I found out about what you all do, because it's extremely necessary. And I feel like it's hard to find. I know so many people out there who are looking for dietitians and first of all, finding a 
anti-diet or non-diet dietitian is just a task in itself. <laughs> and, then, so and then recognizing that the changes need to be sustainable, mm-hmm. at least in the field I'm in with eating disorders, that's something as a coach, I'm always trying to help my clients do is just figure out how can they make behavior change sustainable. Yeah. And I think also giving yourself that permission as you're on this road of recovery is like, what's sustainable today may not be sustainable when you have a different life situation. And so sustainability changes. And so making sure that you do always have that support team of like, oh yeah, now I'm at college. What I was doing in high school is not working anymore. Or I think that's the other piece is sustainability also is changing. Yeah, absolutely. You can't expect the same sort of plan or way of life to be the same forever. Yeah. (laughs) Depending on the phase you're in, things will evolve. And so will your relationship with food and your needs. And that's so important. So that's, that's fascinating. So anyway, let's talk about this connection between food and mood. Cause I haven't really, you know, dove into this on the show too much. So I am really excited. And First of all, when I was thinking about the concept of food and mood, there was a part of me that was like, I usually hear this in a healthified diety way. So how are oh, we going yeah. to talk about this in a non-healthified way? Because what I usually see online is eat this and you're going to feel better. And it's like a salad or something, <laughs> like that. you know? Yeah. And then I hear the narrative from my clients who are deep in their disorder, which is, oh, I really only feel good if I eat lightly or if I eat whole foods or organic foods. And it turns into this like diet culture thing. So I assume your approach to food and mood is completely different. Oh, one million percent different. And like, we're going to go science because I think a lot of like, oh, you'll feel better if you eat salads or feel better. Like, great. That's awesome that you're having that experience of feeling better, but like, what's the science and like, what's going on with your brain and what's going on with anxiety and depression and ADHD and bipolar and all these different diagnoses. Like what is the biochemistry and neurochemistry and all of that approach? Because the cool, like magical thing is all of our emotions come from food. So like, hear me out. Like this sounds really, really cool. So the chemicals that make up happiness, our serotonin, our dopamine actually come from food. The things that make up oxytocin, like love factor come from like the precursors come from food. And so if we're not getting enough of certain pieces of the puzzles of food, we don't have enough of the kind of building blocks to make happiness to make that love factor oxytocin is that like fall in love. And so we don't have those puzzle pieces. So we're going to feel not as happy. We're going to notice depression more. We're going to get anxious more. And so it really helps in like the recovery standpoint of like, oh, if I'm noticing more anxiety, I wonder if I'm getting enough of these puzzle pieces to do the best I can. And it, no good, no bad, no right, no wrong. It's just a noticing factor. I'm like, oh, maybe that's why my anxiety is going up. Maybe not. And also 
even if we did eat all the magical puzzle pieces, it might not have a huge effect on our anxiety because genetics, sometimes we're just built that way. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Oh, wow. That's interesting. So are you saying that the food we eat sort of provides the creation of those chemicals in a way? Like without the food, we wouldn't have the energy to create the chemicals we need to feel those emotions. A hundred percent. So in order to make serotonin, you have to have certain protein molecules and a certain amount of carbohydrate molecules and certain B6 vitamins. And so like, if we're not getting those, it just doesn't happen. Yeah. Okay. That's pretty interesting. So as an eating disorder dietitian, what are you seeing on like neurobiological level with people who are maybe really restrictive? Oh, yeah. So I think kind of the main thing that we see a lot of times, you might hear this is like hungry brain or starved brain where we're just at a really low intake of nutrition. And so we get more anxiety, we get more moodiness, we get more depression because we don't have the serotonin, the dopamine, the norepinephrine, all of those happiness chemicals that make you, you kind of in our food. And so what happens is a lot of times, maybe in your recovery, people might talk about how there's you and then there's your eating disorder. So a lot Mm -hmm. of times the personality of your eating disorder is all of the missing puzzle pieces of nutrition. So the moodiness, because we're not getting your carbohydrates, the anxiousness, because we're getting low energy, that is all from nutrition land. Mm, I find that so fascinating. And I also feel like it can be very hopeful for people who are struggling with an eating disorder, just knowing, okay, my bitchy personality <laughs> be permanent. <laughs> really curse on the show, but like it felt fitting in that moment. Like, I feel like it's like, okay, maybe there's hope, maybe Cause I hear this narrative a lot, which is I don't like the person I am when I have yeah. my eating disorder because I'm like grouchier, moodier, more anxious, just kind of snipping at people around me. Yes. So I totally could be that we're just not getting enough nutrition. So we get this huge change in mood uh, the frontal lobe, which is that front part, like right behind your forehead is one of the parts of your personality. And that's where a lot of it is missing. Your brain it requires so much nutrition compared to any other organ in your body. And so if we're not getting enough, that frontal lobe is just like, Meh, forget it. Meh, I'm not going to do this. And so we get that kind of little, oh, the itty bitty shitty committee comes out. And so like, (laughs) that's where we kind of notice that personality shift. Very interesting. Yeah. Cause I hear that all the time. And I remember saying things that I didn't want to say, or just being not myself with my eating disorder, probably because there were those building blocks that were totally missing. And I think if you're giving yourself enough nutrition, it just sounds like that will be supportive of maybe just a better mood, which means better personality in general. (laughs) Yeah, totally. And it's one of the things, and this is where, this is the hard part. It'd be so easy if we could just say like, oh, eat food, it'd be so easy. But like, I get it. Like that is probably the worst thing you could possibly say to somebody going through recovery. And it's that, okay, how do we make this work today? Because one of the most magical things for nutrition land to help with mood is boom, 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 carbohydrates. 
Um, <laughs> I know, but they're little heart carbohydrates. They get like the worst knock in the whole entire world in diet culture and all the media out there. And so it makes it really hard, but carbohydrates help to stabilize our blood sugar, which whenever our blood sugar is stabilized, our mood is stabilized. And so that can be the hardest thing to get over during recovery times, but oh, holy guacamole, does it just make a huge difference when we can get adequate blood sugar through adequate carbohydrates throughout the day. Mm-hmm. That is so interesting because we demonize carbohydrates, you know, in the yes. media and thinking about it as a potential source of just more of a mood stabilizer. Yeah. yeah I eat carbs all the time. I've been pretty happy lately. So they're pretty awesome. I mean, who doesn't love, I mean, we were just talking about potatoes before and sweet yeah. casserole, like they're pretty amazing. And when we look at like how cool they are for your brain and your muscles and your heart, like, ah, I'm a fan. I'm a oh, fan wow. So, so tell me how carbohydrates impact the brain. I'd love to hear how they impact the body now that we're on the subject. Yeah. So whenever we eat carbohydrates, and they get digested, they store in your body as glucose or glycogen, and they're stored in either your liver or your muscles. So when people are like, oh, I eat carbs and I make my butt big, like, "Mm, no, that'd be your eating disorder. They're stored in your muscles. And so the biggest muscle that has the most blood flow is our heart. And so if we're not getting in adequate carbohydrates, the body goes into its storage tank, AKA its muscles. And the easiest muscle to get into is that heart. And so that's why we see a lot of people in the recovery journey having low heart rates or heart issues or cases of people dying of heart attacks is because we've really weakened that heart. Mm, That's really scary, I think. Yeah. So the heart is the first muscle that's impacted on a biological level. It can be, and everybody does something different, but that is one of the biggest risk factors is like Mm -hmm. really having that heart muscle deteriorate. I remember it was shadowing a eating disorder physician when I first was in this field because I was like, I don't know what I don't know. And I remember sitting in with a patient and listening to their heart and they had to move the stethoscope further and further to the midline of the body, to like the middle of their chest because their heart was so weak. And so I was asking the physician, like, how come and why? And that was the reason. Oh, wow. Yeah. Yeah. I've definitely seen that. It's really risky. You're yeah. playing fire when you're, yeah. you have an eating disorder. I don't think people recognize that it's not just weight loss that might happen. It's yeah. like actually serious health consequences as yeah. well. Yeah. 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 So you mentioned carbohydrates. Are there any other foods that kind of help with mood stabilization or increase the mood that you would like expect someone to maybe embrace to feel better. (laughs) Oh, so the next food group that we are just going to give a big O hug to is fat. I know everybody's like eating soda brain. It's like, no. (laughs) So why fat? And if you don't like that word, that's okay. We can call it lipids. Why they're so cool is every single one of our cells are wrapped in a little fat layer called Mm. the phospholipid fat layer, the lipid bilayer. And every single one of our nerves are wrapped in a myelin sheath. So think of your, like a cord, any cord has like plastic around it. 
to protect the electricity. Same thing is happening with your neurotransmitters. It's wrapped in fat. So you don't catch on fire because your neurons are electricity. And so if we don't have adequate fat coming in, our cells don't talk to each other as well. Mm. Our neurons don't fire as well. So we're not able to have cognitive reasoning as well. We may say things we don't wish to say. We may react in ways we don't want to. And our digestion might not really work because cells aren't working as well. So things just don't talk really well. Mm. Okay. So does that also impact brain fog too? Oh, yes. Okay, because that's what I thought of immediately when you're talking. Yeah, so total brain fog. So the neurons and everything just is like, mm, I might try to talk or I might not. And somebody, they're just not really able to connect. Mm, yes, okay, that makes so much sense. So I can see how if you're not really receiving messages properly or your brain's not functioning as well, that would kind of make you more reactive to things. Oh, yes. Yeah. Interesting. Yes. Oh, it's funny because as someone who's recovered, I love my carbs. I love my fats. Those are the most satisfying to me. So I'm, I'm glad that you're giving people more motivation to embrace these foods yeah. um, because they have so much valuable functioning and so many like strong roles to play inside the body. Oh, they truly do. And I, it's so oh, awful that the diet industry has demonized them in so many ways and they become scary. And so how to begin to make peace with carbohydrates and fat, I think that's the part of the journey of recovery and making peace with food is like, well, how do I find enjoyment and safety and security? And how do I make these fit into my life in a way that is enjoyable? So I think that's the, the road ahead. Interesting. Okay. I have a million questions, in all of me, but are there any other like major food groups that you want to just give a nod to as something helpful for mood? Hey friends, it's that time of year again. That's right. We're opening the doors to my virtual eating disorder recovery community, the recovery collective on January 19th. Curious to know what it's like inside. Here's what some of our members have said. My favorite part about the Recovery Collective is that as of joining about a year ago, I finally realized how important it is to have a community in recovery. It was definitely a turning point for me to finally talk to someone who's understanding. The people in the Recovery Collective are some of the most lovely, supportive people I've ever met. If you're thinking about joining the Recovery Collective, I have two words to say to you. Do it. Literally just give it a chance. I think you will be surprised in the most wonderful way. Make the jump and join. It's honestly one of the best things I ever did. And I've made some of my best friends from around the world. It's a safe place for me. I know I can say anything and never get judged for it. And I feel that we all truly care about each other. Well, there you have it. Our members have spoken. And I might be a little biased, but I think our community is pretty great too. For more information, check out the link in the show notes and make sure you sign up for the waiting list so you can be the first to join our community in the new year. Yeah, I think for mood, I would say potassium rich foods. So yeah. if you are anxious, please do not take a potassium supplement. 
supplement. That's a whole not good situation, uh, possibly. Potassium-rich foods, so coconut water, dried mango, beans, tomatoes, bananas. Everybody thinks of bananas. What that does is it helps to turn down anxiety and it will not be Prozac. It will not be magical unicorns. Like I'm thinking like a 10% turn down. So it's one of those things that, yeah, like, let's be real. It can just help kind of like, well, maybe I can have like a little bit more space to breathe. So mm-hmm. potassium rich food. So I always tell people when I was working with people and it was parents weekend in treatment centers. And I was like, so let's, um, let's have some coconut water. Let's have some like dried mango snacks with some almonds. And so it gets just a little bit more potassium rich food. So just being a little bit more mindful if I'm walking into an anxious situation, I'm going to down some potassium rich foods just to, you know, take a moment to breathe. I really do appreciate how you pointed out that it's not like medication level chain. I think that's kind of what diet culture has placed on food is like, it's this cure-all for everything. If you just get it right. And I love that you're kind of putting it out there that it's not going to be this like drastic shift, but it will support a shift. Yes, a hundred percent. It will support a shift. And the other piece is I always tell patients like, it can't hurt. Like maybe it'll help you 15%, maybe it'll help you 2%, but Hey, that's two more percent than you felt like crappy before. Maybe you felt 2% better. So it can't hurt mm-hmm. where I think that can give you some help as you're going through those anxious moments. Mm. <laughs> oh, I love that. I know so many people would be wanting to learn more, a lot of little anxious souls listening to this, I'm sure. Uh, So, okay. You are making me think of another major factor here, not necessarily mood directly, but so linked to mood and that is sleep. Ah, yes. How does food, like, especially with the recovery lens, how does that impact sleep? Sleep is when all of the repair happens. So eating disorders, life, everything damages the body and like life, that's kind of how it happens. And so sleep is when all of the repair molecules kind of go in and scrub and clean and does its work. And so that Mm -hmm. is why sleep is so important and good sleep hygiene getting what is considered good sleep for you. Everybody has different amounts and it feels good for their body, but uh, sleep is when the cleanup happens. Mm, So that's when everything is repaired and restored. Yep. Okay. Mm -hmm. And are there any foods that kind of support that? Or would you just say eating enough food is the main focus when it comes to getting better sleep? Yeah, I would say eating enough is truly like the basis. And I've always told clients, you know, one of the signs that you're not eating enough is poor sleep. If you're waking up a couple of times throughout the night, if you're waking up feeling hungry, like if you're waking up, you're probably not eating enough. And so you could add in a couple of other things, but it really isn't going to make a huge difference compared to adequate fuel. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. That's always what I've thought just like based (laughs) on my own experience and in life, it seems to be, you need to be eating enough for that sleep to really kick in. Yeah. Um, yeah. And I think sleep is also a tricky thing because there's like the sleep hygiene, what are you doing right before you go to sleep? Then there's also, if we are an anxious human or a worrier, 
sometimes our brain can take over. And so working on different techniques that maybe your coach or therapist has given you to really calm that brain down mm-hmm. is also so important. So you may be getting rock star, amazing, adequate food, but our brain just is hijacking the situation. Okay. Yeah. It's so complicated <laughs> or complex at least there are yeah. many factors. Yeah. factors. Okay. So another thing that I was thinking about when we were talking about food and mood is the idea of how your thoughts about the food impact mood, right? And there might not be science behind this, but I find that someone who has linked food to maybe certain moral values, like good foods, bad foods, then eating more good foods impacts their mood or eating bad foods impacts their mood. And as a dietitian, I'm just curious if you see that a lot, like how thought, or if you could speak to how thoughts about food impact mood and what someone might be able to do about that. Yeah. Oh, totally. We see that all the time of if I eat X, Y, and Z, I'm a good human and I feel good. And it might actually be true. Like there's power in thought. There's so much research in power of thought. And I think kind of the role of the dietitian is to really help, you know, look at those food beliefs. Like my belief is like, there's no good, bad, right, wrong food. Food is food. And what food is great for you is going to be different than what food's great for somebody else. And so I'm just curious of like, well, where did that idea that marshmallows are a good food? And I'm just using marshmallows as an example, because I just think they're the cutest little things ever. And so like, (laughs) I want to be more curious and then like, okay, well, that's a thought or a belief. And, you know, would you be interested in understanding like the science? Because I think to me and the nerd of who I am is like the science makes sense. I'm like, okay, cool. Well, let's understand how marshmallows could really make you feel better. They are carbohydrate, magical unicorns. They help stabilize your blood sugar. Like, yeah, I can see how that makes sense. And so I want to help understand, but also support that with science. like, yeah, I'm not sure that just eating ice cubes is going to make you feel better. I love it. Like I get it, but there's absolutely like a shred of like no shreds of science there. So I really Mm -hmm. want to help understand like the science. Yeah. I think that's so valuable and important. And I guess I'm curious, like if someone's beliefs about a food would totally disregard perhaps science, although there is the narrative truth is there for them. Right. So for instance, like if someone said, Oh, pasta makes me feel horrible. I, I hate pasta because it's all their thoughts, right? They feel like a bad person, they're violating their food rules. So their mood goes down. Like, how do you approach that? What, What would you do? Like maybe on a scientific level with somebody? Yeah, I think I would definitely in that situation, not lead with science because it's more about that relationship with pasta in that moment and that connection with pasta that if I gave you science, you'd be like, "Mm, yeah, no, I still hate pasta. (laughs) And so to me, I would, and kind of the work I would do with somebody is like, well, tell me more about pasta. Like when this happened, like, I'm so curious, like, is it like, spaghetti pasta? Is it like curly cute pasta? Like, tell me, like, is it just one type of pasta? I don't know enough of that person's story to provide science that would actually make sense. So to me to throw science without understanding somebody just 
doesn't feel good. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I completely see that. And I think that makes a lot of sense. It's an interesting thing because I want people to enjoy all foods. So <laughs> look at all these reasons why it's great. And they're like, I still hate it though. Yeah. 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 And it's just, oh, it's so as a dietitian, I'm like, yeah, I love food. And I get so excited. I like do the happy dance every time I get to eat food. It's so amazing. And I almost have to know, like, that's my experience. And I can't wait for them to have that experience too. And so that's what I love to be able to share with people as they're going through this recovery journey is I can't wait till you do the happy dance of food. And it's just going to be so magical. And I know it might not be where you are today, but we're getting there and we're going to get there together. Mm, That's so beautiful. I feel the same exact way. I love it when folks can finally get to that point, but it's really a journey. It's not the same amount of time for anybody getting there. Mm, mm -hmm. So as far as this topic goes, like thinking about maybe like the refeeding process, you know, as someone's like very undernourished, what should someone expect as far as mood goes or like feelings and emotions go? Because that whole process, if there's science behind that, I'd love to hear that as well. (laughs) I would say put on a helmet, get ready for a roller coaster of emotion. Uh, (laughs) Oh yeah. And I also think kind of like when somebody thinks of the word malnourished, we always have this like image of a body type. And I I really want us to all to like scrub that image of like malnutrition can happen in any body type. And so refeeding happens in any body type and any part of recovery, because we might just not be nourishing our body the way it was designed for you. And so when we do start to nourish our body, what happens is the body's like, oh my goodness, wait, what? And it forgets how to process. It forgot how to like digest stuff. And so we're going to have constipation. We're not going to feel good. We're going to have bloating. And 60 to almost 80% of your serotonin, your happiness is made in your gut. And so when you're having bloating and gassing and constipation, you are not a happy camper. And so we're going to have these ups and downs of mood. And then as we're going through this refeeding, renourishment, we get a whole big cattywampus change in our hormones. Maybe we had irregular cycles. Maybe we had lost our cycle. And so then we get a flood of estrogen and all of these other hormones and our brain just goes upside down and backwards. And so I always tell people like, get ready. It's going to be a while. It's not going to be fun. And let your loved ones know. And I always talk to loved ones as well. Like, yay. Like, well, this is part of recovery. And it's also, it's, I think sometimes it's better to know, like, this is why this is hard is because it's Mm -hmm. unpredictable. Our brain is getting nourished. Our body's getting nourished and our mood is going to be up, down, backwards and everything in between. Mm, That's so important to keep in mind. Just like, going through the digestive healing and then the hormonal healing. I mean, that sounds like a total roller coaster physically and emotionally. Yeah. Yeah. For you. And like you said, like sometimes we aren't the person that we remember ourselves as. And so the words that come out of our mouths are like, oh my gosh, I didn't mean to say that. I don't know who that is. And it's just, it's, we just have those, a lot of different emotions coming out too. Mm. So what advice do you have for people maybe supporting those 
going through the refeeding process because it's probably difficult to be around someone going through that. Yeah, I would say get your own support Mm. is first and foremost is that you're going through this process too. So find your own support team, find your own journey for healing. And I always think of, you know, just breathe. There's going to be some amazing days. There's going to be some not so amazing days. And this is a journey. And if you guys go in it together as a team, as opposed to fighting, it it may be better. Yes. (laughs) That sounds a lot better. I'm sure it is. And um, I also feel like in that situation, patience is probably so much so necessary and like tolerance of just recognizing this person is going to be going through a lot of ups and downs. Yeah, exactly. Mm-hmm. Oh, wow. So you mentioned a few minutes ago that the gut is connected to 60% of happiness. Is that the so serotonin? Yeah. So one of your chemicals that makes happiness, serotonin, about 60 to 80% is made in that gut. So we've heard of like the gut microbiome, possibly has popped up maybe in Instagram and the, mm-hmm. all the things, but there is some really great research. And as of right now, there's needs to be tons of research, more research. It's just like a budding new area. We, the collective, we meaning researchers, science doesn't have all the answers yet, but we do know that a lot is made in the gut, in the GI system. And so what we can do to help proliferate that is help make sure we have a lot of good, healthy bacteria in our gut. Mm, Okay. Right. And when it comes to gut bacteria, less is more, right? Like you don't want to go in there and try to hack the system. Cause I I feel like that seems to be the talk of the town these days. Like I'm going to reset my gut. I'm going to cleanse my gut. I'm like, well, yeah. it sounds like not a smart idea. No, no, no biohacking <laughs> and no cleanses, no detox. Your body does it for you every single day when you poop. It's magical. <laughs> we do not need to cleanse. And I think, you know, just making sure again, oh, your body is meant to do this. It, do- it usually does it without us really knowing it. And so don't overthink it. Don't try to hack it. Just take care of your body, take care of your recovery and trust the process. Mm, On the note of trust, like what are some of the things about the body that you wish your clients would be more trusting of? Oh my gosh, where to even start? I think it would just so cool. I always, because I'm a nerd in science, I always think of just like the things that your body does without us knowing. So like while we're sitting here chatting, my GI system is breaking down food and shoveling it to all over. And I didn't have to do a darn thing. Like it is work. I'm like, this is amazing. I think that is just so mind blowing. And so I think just being able to have that gratitude and appreciation of like, holy bananas. Like I just ate some M&Ms right for chatting and it's like doing some magic. I don't know what it's doing, but it's doing some cool stuff. And it's like, I've got M&Ms in my toes. I got M&Ms in my fingers. And it's like doing things. How cool is that? Mm -hmm. And I think that's really forgotten about because everyone has this idea that food just turns to fat and that's all it does, (laughs) (laughs) which I don't blame anyone if that's what they've been thinking, but it's helpful to remind everyone that food is used in all areas of the body for all functions of the body, like you're saying. Yeah. Yeah. It's making 
fat tissue, adipose tissue is actually really freaking hard. It's like the last resort. Like the body wants to use all the good nutrition that you're taking in, all the good yummy foods. It's like, oh yes, M&Ms to the work. Like it's so excited to use it. I love that imagery. It's like, it's a team, right? It's always about like your body. I mean, you can think of it so many ways, but it's like a team or like a company that's like, we have a new resource. Let's use it. And like, (laughs) disperse it around the body. Totally. Oh, I love that. (laughs) (laughs) Then when someone's undernourished, they're like, we have to budget. There's not enough to go around. So reproductive system. We're not, we're taking that out of the way for a little bit, you know, like don't have that in the budget sort of a thing. (laughs) I love Um, it. (laughs) I love that. Okay. So there's this idea that while you are sitting here, your food is doing the work for you. You don't necessarily have to do anything else. You're that your body's doing that. Yeah. And I think the hard part when working with patients is trusting the body is doing it quote unquote, right. Like, oh, well, my body might do it wrong and my body did things wrong in the past. And so how do I know it's going to do it right now? And how do I know it's going to continue to do it right? And it's not going to do it wrong again. And I think kind of like, well, let's try and trust. And so that, that is a scary thing is to rebuild that trust with your body. And that's the work that you and your care team does during this recovery process. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I definitely see that. And it's so difficult to have that trust if you've had bad experiences in the past. Yeah. Right. Just recognize, mm-hmm. oh, okay. Like I'm not broken. Yeah. I just have to sit here with the discomfort of trusting maybe something that feels unknown to me. Yep. Exactly. Exactly. Mm-hmm. Amazing. Wonderful. Well, Adrian, is there anything that I haven't brought up when it comes to food and mood? I feel like we've covered so much today. Yeah, I think, you know, kind of just taking it back to the basics of, you know, having nutrition, fueling your body and getting good rest. I think that's kind of the easiest thing is don't make food complicated. Recovery is way more complicated than we ever can imagine. And I think, you know, just bringing it back to basics. I had this one patient, her mantra was always eat your meals and feel your feels. And that's kind <laughs> of like how, how she would kind of go through recovery. And so I think it's just, you know, do the best you can. There's no such thing as perfect in nutrition land and, you know, continue to reach out for support. Mm, I love it. Simple is better. Eat the meals, feel the feels. <laughs> Lovely. (laughs) Awesome. Well, Adrian, where can everyone find you online? This has been such a wonderful conversation. I just want to make sure people know that they have you as a potential resource. Oh, awesome. Yeah. Well, you can find us over at Use Nourish. And I actually put together all of the tips on mood and health just for your audience. So if they want to go over to usenourish.com slash Meg, there is going to be a free download for all of your audience on like everything we talked about, all the science broken down into easy peasy lemon squeezy stuff. But yeah, use nourish.com. And then on all the social channels, it's just at Adrian Paxosa or at use nourish. And yeah, we talk about food and how to make it magical. 
Oh my gosh. That's amazing. Thank you for offering that little free download for our community. I know that it probably holds so much valuable information for everybody about mood and food. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. And if you guys ever need anything, don't hesitate to reach out. Oh, absolutely. Okay, everyone, you've heard it. Go check out Adrian's website. Go download the PDF. You'll get so much information there. Adrian, thank you so much for being on the show. You are a delight and I love your nerdy science side. It's definitely so needed and appreciated here. So thank you again for just joining me today. Oh, thank you. All right. (laughs) 